among women. Um, but it's a joy to, uh, joy to be with you. We've got to know Andrew, gosh, over the last four or five years. Uh, he's a great fellow, delighted uh, that he's getting some cycling done uh, in this season. Um, in a second, we'll be looking at the Song of Songs. I don't, I don't know if you've ever spent much time there. Do you know there, there, there was a time in Christian history when that was, that was the book that, that people looked at? Um, and, and, and it's kind of fallen off our list, and so I love to come back to it uh, from time to time to see some uh, amazing words. But let me pray for us uh, as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that we get to call ourselves your people because of Christ, what he has done for us in the cross and the resurrection. And Lord, as your people here this morning, we pray that you will speak to us. You know how each of us have come in here this morning. You know the joys that we carry. You know the sorrows that burden us. Lord, speak to us this morning. May your word, by your spirit, penetrate deep into our heart. That we might leave here with your strength and your hope, your grace and your love infused into our souls. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever tried this. Someone once said it to me. I think it's a great game. Try and remember something you haven't remembered before. Like that's, that's really hard, isn't it? Of, you know, if you haven't remembered it before, how can you go? But, 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 but try it of, of maybe it's a memory from uh, childhood or your days at high school or, or, or something. And it's actually a fun thing to do to, just to take five minutes in the quietness and just try and remember something you have never remembered. It doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be something huge in your life. In fact, sometimes when it's just something small, it's, it's all the more fascinating to just try and bring something that's been hidden there in the recesses of your memory for years uh, and just to, to bring it back. Because memory is, like memory is an amazing thing. And so much of of Christian spirituality, when you read through this book, is tied to, to memory. So, you know, you know, when the great exodus happened and, and the people are coming into the land and Moses is there in Deuteronomy, do you know one of the, the things he keeps saying to them is, is remember, 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 remember what happened when you were brought out. Remember why, why, why God chose you. It wasn't because you were great or special. It was because he set his, his love on you. Actually, I see the... The Lord's Supper is laid, and, and I'm very jealous because we have ordered ours from Amazon, and they're lost in the post, but this looks amazing, and we're eagerly waiting for our, our disposable communion cups to arrive. But you know when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and, and what's the final line that Jesus says? Do this remembrance of, of me, that at the, at the heart of our spirituality is, is remembering right. And actually, that's pretty important to God as well, isn't it? I will remember their sins more. And that's, that's good, isn't it? I like that sort of memory when it comes to my sins. He will remember our sins no more. And it's not because, you know, it's not because he has sort of divine amnesia. And it's like, uh, Colin, what did he do? Uh, I, I, just, I just can't quite put my finger on what he did. Sure, we'll just forgive him. 
That's not the way it works with God's memory. Actually, God remembers this. He remembers the cross and the resurrection so that whenever He remembers my sin, He remembers it rightly. He remembers it in, in light of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. And so as He remembers rightly, He remembers no more because it's done. It's dealt with. And, and actually, so much of our spirituality is based around memory. Do you know the great uh, African bishop, Augustine, he said, memory is a bit like your spiritual stomach. I know it doesn't sound very pretty, but he says, it's, it's like your spiritual stomach. You know the way whenever you eat stuff, and you eat some good stuff, you eat some bad stuff, and your stomach is there to, to digest it? and to break it down and to, 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 to break it right down so that the good stuff can be kept and the bad stuff can be dealt with. And if, you're, if your physical stomach is, is working great, then we can, we can flourish. We can, we can eat the stuff and we'll take in some good stuff and take in some bad stuff. The stomach will deal with it so that it can be done. Well, Augustine says that the memory that we have is a bit like that. Where as we go through life, things are thrown at us that are, some of them are amazing and bring us great joy. Some of them are terrible, sometimes unspeakable. And what he says is, is, is the memory is like the stomach for the soul. It's there to break it down. It's there to digest it so that the good stuff can be absorbed so that our soul flourishes and the bad stuff can be dealt with. And if, you're, if your physical stomach's working well, your body can flourish. And if your spiritual stomach is working well, your soul can flourish. But the problem comes when it doesn't work well. Actually, if our physical stomach doesn't work well, it can poison the body. And if our spiritual stomach isn't working well, if we don't know how to take the stuff that is thrown at us and digested and, and, and break it down so that the good stuff can be absorbed and the bad stuff can be dealt with, if, if our spiritual stomach isn't working well, it can actually poison our souls. And one of the reasons I love to come back to the book of Song of Songs, because this used to be the jewel of Christian spirituality. And one of the reasons I love to come back to it is it, is it gives us different angles, it diff, gives us different glimpses on the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible there, I would love it if you would uh, turn open to the Song of Songs. Uh, we're looking at chapter 1. Um, I'm, I'm just going to look at the last three verses, verses 15, 16, uh, and 17. Uh, and if, if, if you've ever been in the book of Song of Songs, it's about this lad and this lady. They love each other to bits, and they're celebrating their love, and it's all very poetic and lovely. And, and one of the things that it does is it gives us a glimpse into human sexuality, but it also gives us a glimpse into human spirituality. And because the whole way through the Bible, the relationship between God and His people is likened to, 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 to Christ, the bridegroom, and, and the church, the bride. Uh, and as we read Song of Songs, it, it gives us a glimpse into human marriage, but it also gives us a glimpse uh, into divine marriage. Uh, so let me pick it up. Uh, Song of Songs, chapter 1, uh, and verse 15. This is the lad talking. 
He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are like doves. Then she says, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. Our bed is verdant. Or I think your translation said green and lush, that sort of picture. He then says, the, the beams of our house are cedars. The rafters are firs. I think yours says pine. And, and you just have this picture where they're just, they're just gazing at each other and they're celebrating uh, the, the love that they have for each other. And, and as, as he gazes at her, thinks, you're, oh, you're just lovely. She gazes right back at him and says, well, you're, you're just great too. And, and, and you're caught in this sort of private moment of this double gaze where they're just celebrating each other. And, and, and what you notice is that it's a, it's a double gaze. They're both exchanging it. And, and they're celebrating not just seeing the other, but being seen by the other. They're celebrating not just that they know, but that they're known. They're celebrating not just that they love, but that they're loved. It's quite a scary thing, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to see someone. It's another thing to be seen by them. I don't just mean sort of seen, you know, what's, what's our haircut like today? It's one thing to see someone. Another thing to have someone's gaze go deep into our souls and to be properly seen and for them to say, I love what I see. And what you have here in the Song of Songs is this double gaze where they're not just celebrating that they love, but that they're loved. They're not just celebrating that they know, but also that they're known, that they see and that they're seen. And, and as, you, as you read through those verses, you know, they, they say, you know, our, our, our bed is green or, or verdant. The, 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 the word there is this, this lush, rich, flourishing, that, that the intimacy that they have is, is, is flourishing. And, 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 and then they describe the beams of our house are like these these cedars, which are the picture of strength, and the rafters are the, the firs and the pines, these long timbers that, that stretch the whole way. They don't have to be patched. And they're, as they're gazing at each other, as they realize that it is safe to see and it is safe to be seen, it's saying their intimacy flourishes, that their home is strong and secure. And, and you, get this, you get this idea in in Scripture in lots of ways, that, that what happens in here spills out. Like you, can't, you just can't keep it in here. And it spills out in, in all sorts of ways uh, to, 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 to ourselves, to the people around us, even to the place uh, where we live. Uh, Proverbs 14, the, the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. Wisdom has built her house, it has set up seven pillars. And often when it's talking there, it's got that double meaning, not just, not just house as in the physical place, but as in the home. That, that this wise woman not just looks after her home, but looks after her house, not just her property, but also her, her family. That, that wisdom in here, just it flows out and it makes a difference. Equally, folly in here, 
flows out and it makes a difference. And what you have in the Song of Songs is this, this double gaze, this deep intimacy that means that their, their, their bed is flourishing and their house is strong. Uh, and what's amazing is that when we think about the privilege that it is to be God's people, we're described as the house of God. We're, we're described as, as the one where Christ is making his dwelling. In fact, when you get to Ephesians 3, that's exactly the image that is used. As, as Paul is talking to Christians, uh, he's, he's saying the Spirit is at work within us in order to make our very inner being the dwelling place of Christ. Let me, let me read out. This is Ephesians chapter 3, 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. He's talking to Christians, and he's saying, my prayer is that the Spirit would so work that Christ would make your inner being his dwelling place, that it would become more like his home. And do you know how that happens? By knowing a love that surpasses knowledge, so high and wide and deep and long that, that words can't do it justice. Paul's saying, you see this house of God? You see you and the person beside you and our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, the houses of God. Christ has come in to make our souls his dwelling place. Where Christ wants to be seen. We see what he did in the cross and resurrection, but he also wants to see us. He wants to go into those deep recesses of our soul that even we're scared to look into. And he says, I want to make this place my home. He says to us, I don't just want to be seen by you. I want to see you. That we don't just see Christ, but we're seen by him. You know, often when we when we talk about spirituality, one of the great things is that we delight in God, don't we? I mean, like, he's just, just amazing. We should, we should delight in him. Psalm 43, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. We're to delight in God. Did you know that he also delights in us? Psalm 18, he brought me out of the spacious place. He rescued me. Because he delighted in me. That actually the gaze in the Song of Songs, as he delights in her and she delights in him, as they see and are seen, is true of us spiritually. That actually Jesus doesn't say, hey, look at, look at me. He also says, I want to see you. Christian spirituality is not just delight in God. 
feel the delighting gaze of God as he looks on us. Not because we're awesome. Because he created us. He wove us together in our mother's womb. And even though we are broken and sinful, he loved us so much. He died on a cross to forgive our sins. He rose from the dead to beat sin and death and the devil. And when we come to faith in Christ, we are so united to him that he is in me and I am in him. So that when God looks on us, delights in us. And as we look on God, we delight in him. We are caught in this double gaze where we see and are seen. Where we know and are known, where we love and are loved. But you know, I think, I think this is where sometimes we as Christians, we settle for, we settle for one of those. We settle for, well, we know we should delight in God. We know that we should gaze on the cross and the resurrection. We know we, know we should look at, at that, and, 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 and that is amazing. But actually, that's only half of a relationship. Actually, the other half of Christian spirituality is not just to gaze on the crucified, risen Christ, but to let the crucified, risen Christ is on us. Gaze into those dark recesses of our soul that even we're scared to look at. And if we settle for the first, we celebrate seeing Christ. But we're still scared to be seen by him. Let me tell you about George. That's, uh, that's not his name, but let's, let's call him that for... Verse 6, George is a um, lovely Christian lad in his 40s, hardworking farmer, um, whose farm is about to be taken from him because his marriage has fallen to bits. He's invested everything in the farm. The divorce is on the horizon. The only way they're going to split this is if they sell the farm and go their separate ways. And George is a great lad. Brought up in a, in a Christian home, he loves Jesus. George has been praying 10 years that his marriage would work. He's been married 15 years. And for the last 10 of those, it's been teetering on the edge of breaking up. And now the moment has finally come where the wife has had enough and she's just like, I'm just, I'm going, I can't take it anymore. We've been, we've been round this round about too many times because his wife has spent the last 15 years of marriage essentially being a single mother. George lives on the farm. He breathes the farm. And, 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 and he never seems to come in. They've, they, it's not just that they don't take holidays. Lots of farmers don't take holidays, but, but they hardly even have a cup of tea together. He, he never spends time with the kids unless the, the kids are out working with him. He, he doesn't take an interest in their, their friends or their school. The only time he takes an interest is, is if they're on the tractor with him working. And she's had enough. And it's, it's not like George is trying to be difficult. For the last 10 years, he said, I know, I know I should be in more. 
And, and they'll have an argument, they'll have a bust up, and they'll come close to leaving, and, and so he'll, 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 he'll come in for lunch a little bit more, and on Sundays he'll try and do a little bit less, and after a few weeks it dissolves away, and it just goes back to, he lives on that tractor, he lives in the silo. She's, she's had enough. And she says, I'm leaving. I cannot take it anymore. And he has been praying for 10 years that God would forgive him for being a bad husband and a bad father. That God would so transform him that, that he would know that it's the right thing to come in at lunchtime and to spend time with his wife and to take an interest in, 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 in the fact that some of his kids want to play video games or go out on a Saturday night to the, or whatever it is. And no matter how many times he's prayed it, any change is fleeting. And we, and we go back to the way that it was. If you said, well, what's wrong? Lord, just do it. You don't want to lose your family. You love your family. You love Jesus. You love your kids. You love your farm. Everything is about to fall apart. George being selfish. You know what George's problem is? He's got a stomach problem. Not that he can't digest the spuds. The spiritual stomach problem. That's a problem that has been poisoning his soul for 29 years. He wrote, roll back the clock when George was a kid, this is the farm that he grew up in. It's the farm that he loved. It was his father's farm. And he loved his father so much. And his father went through some pretty tough times. Those were difficult days for farmers back then. And George's dad did everything you could imagine to try and make that farm work. And nothing was good enough because no matter how much money he made from the farm, it was never enough to even cover the bills. And George's father hated himself that he could not make it work, that he could not do enough to get the bills paid, and he hated himself for it. See that hate? It turned into, it turned into bitterness. Because he would look at other people. He, he would look at people who were, who were born rich and just had everything set for them, and they seemed to make it through the difficult times. Or, he, or he'd look at, at people that he knew were, who were out just to play the system and do as little work as possible and still get a paycheck. And, he, and the bitterness took such root that he resented anyone who he saw as having an easy ride. And one day he was on the roads, on the tractor, with little George, 11-year-old George, by his side, and they get stuck in this queue of traffic as all the traffic is waiting to get into the local football match on the Saturday afternoon while they're busy trying to get the cattle fed. And in that moment, George's father has this look in his eyes because there's a BMW right in front of him. And he looks at the man driving it with utter disgust in his eyes. And he says to little George, that's the problem with our country. Masters. 
They couldn't do a day's work in their life if they tried. Hate them. George saw it. Saw the look and the energy, the intensity, the disgust in his father's eyes. It wasn't the first time and it wasn't the last he saw that look. But it was the one that bore a shadow on his soul. You know what happened, 11 year old George? Do you know on Saturdays he didn't watch TV after that? Do you know on Saturday evenings he didn't go out with his friends to the cinema? Do you know where you'd find him? On the farm. Do you know he didn't study that hard for his exams? Do you know what he'd do while everybody else was revising? Be on the tractor, flying the fields. You see, little 11-year-old George did not have a stomach strong enough to process what happened to him. He spent the rest of his life running from that look. Because do you know how George digested that look? Do you know how his spiritual stomach formed a story around that look? He said, you know what? To himself, I'm probably a waster too. Underneath it all, I probably am. What happens if my father ever finds out? Do you know what would be hell for George? For his father to ever look at him with the eyes that he looked at the BMW with. George spent his whole life running from that look. He spent his whole life saying no to TV, no to friends, no to revision, no to anything that might bring that same look from his dad. And he finally meets a lovely lady and they, they, he loves her to bits. And he loves Jesus and he wants to be the best dad that he can be. And do you know what happens every time he changes a nappy instead of being out in a tractor? Do you know what happens every time he sits down with his wife for lunch instead of being out in the tractor? He starts looking for the look. He starts worrying that one day someone will discover that he really is that type of waster that his father despised. Do you know what happens every time he takes his kids out to the playground? The shadow of that look starts to creep into his soul and he wants to get back to the tractor because where is safe? Farm. Because little 11-year-old George's stomach could not break it down. It couldn't digest it. It couldn't take the good and deal with the bad. And so what George did was he formed a story about who he was and what he needs to be. And it's a story that has poisoned his soul for the last 29 years, has poisoned his marriage, has poisoned his relationship with his kids, and now irony of ironies will poison his farm as it's settled in a divorce dispute. You know what George needs to do? Well, he needs to gaze on Christ. He needs to see what he did on the cross and resurrection to forgive George's sin. He needs to see it and know it and own it. He, know, he needs to know what it is to gaze on Christ. He needs to let that same Christ gaze back on him. Those dark 
corners of his soul that he doesn't even look at. You know what 40-year-old George needs to do? He needs to watch Jesus take 11-year-old George by the hand and tell a better and more gracious story. He needs to let Jesus digest that memory in a true and more gracious way. Because that look that seared on George's soul was not about George, about his dad. It was about a man who wanted to, to love his family and care for them and provide for them and protect them, but, but life was so difficult that he couldn't, and bitterness got a hold in George's dad's heart that jumped from his father's eyes to George's soul. It wasn't about George. And George needs to understand that he is not a waster. George needs to understand that that glare says more about his father's heart than it says about who George is. George needs the freedom of Jesus' words. Change those memories to tell a better and more gracious story. Because George can, can clench his fists all he wants and says, I'm going to come in for lunch more. I'm going to go on date night more. Will it work? Work for a week. But until George knows it is safe to be seen, he will always retreat to the farm. Because his memories have not been able to process the muck that came into his life. And yet we have an amazing Jesus that we can see, the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead, the one that brought us forgiveness and redemption from sin. But that same Jesus looks back into our soul and he offers us redemption from sin. He also offers us rest for our soul as we not only delight in him, but we feel his gaze back into those corners of our soul that we're scared to look into, and he sees it, all of it. He tells a better and more gracious story. You know, most of you I don't, I don't, I don't know. Some of you I've met this morning. I haven't got a clue what your memories are like. I haven't got a clue what some of those invisible hands that shape our actions day to day are. I don't know what they are. I do know none of us get through this life untouched. None of us get through it without scars. And there are things deep in here that we're scared to even look at ourselves. Never mind let the creator of all things look in. And yet that creator is the one who took on flesh, knows what it is to be tempted, knows what it is to struggle. That Jesus is the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. We're going to take a moment and then we're going to come to the Lord's Supper. Here's what I'd love us to do. As we take a moment in the quietness of our hearts, I'd love us to feel that double gaze. That as we come to the bread and the cup, that we see the risen Christ who died for our sins, but that we'd also let him look on us.